Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing. We just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Welcome everybody to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. I'm your host, Nicole York, and today we are talking about fear. We've had this conversation before, but it felt like a really fantastic time to have it again in the face of so many things that seem to be going wonky, like Becca's poor child, and all of the things that we're faced with. Um, Not only that, but the beginning of a new year, when we start looking forward to what may come and thinking to ourselves, you know, how can we turn our business, our life, our art, etc., into what we want it to be, making goals. But that often can be scary because it's going to require a lot of us. We're going to have to work hard in certain areas. We're going to have to step outside our comfort zones and other areas. We're going to have to take risks and chances and make ways for ourselves that we might not have expected. And all of that can feel like a lot. It can feel overwhelming and it can be scary. And that fear has the potential to stop us or hold us back from the things that we want. And that's not the kind of life we want to live. So today we are going to talk about that fear. We're going to try to expose it for what it is and ask ourselves, what can we do about it? How do we handle it when it shows up? Can we preemptively deal with fear? Um, And if we can, how do we do that? And what happens when it becomes crippling? When it stops us from the things that we want? How do we handle that? that is the conversation for today. So it's a little bit heavy, but I think we can handle it. First, I would have to ask everyone on the panel, how do y'all deal with fear when it comes your way? What are your thoughts on it? Because I know for each of us, it can be an entirely different experience. I guess I can start by... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, um, I, have to, I have to jump in the car, so I was going to ask go ahead, someone go. else to go first. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. He I has to, he's got to jump in the car. Okay, no problem. Well, I just want to start simply by talking about a fear that probably most of us uh, suffer from, which is that ang- that anxiety and fear before a photo shoot, right? Every time I have a photo shoot, I, I walk into it re-questioning things, afraid it's not going to work out worried about about what can go wrong, worried about not giving the service that I would like to give, worried about all kinds of things. And I it starts probably the night before when I have a photo shoot. Um, and and somehow that fear I see as a as a positive in a sense that it always works out. Yeah, once in a while I have a bad shoot, but from a client perspective, it always works out. And uh, in, in, in that case, fear is probably a motivator and, and a way to push forward and make me do better and go o- over and above to make sh- sure that things don't go wrong. 
I think that that's really a fantastic place to start with some because it opens us up to asking ourselves what fear actually is and what purpose it serves in our lives. And if we look at that even from an evolutionary standpoint, we can really easily recognize that fear exists to keep us alive, right? Fear exists to keep us safe. And that fear is what would have triggered our fight or flight instincts, pushed us away from things that are dangerous. And now that we are living in a society that's relatively safe, um, that fear extends to different areas. So like you said, there are times when that fear can become a really fantastic impetus in order to make us pay attention to potential danger spots, like make sure you're doing all the things that you have in your mind to do for this session. Make sure that you're covering your bases here. Make sure that you're, you know, having those contracts in place. Um, like Kat was mentioning, all of those come from actual recognized potential dangers and they may not be very serious dangers, right? It's not like life threatening if you don't give exactly the service you hope for, but that fear certainly can be a fantastic motivating factor. And maybe in some cases we should be embracing it. So I think it's really interesting to start from that place and say, well, what was this actually meant to do? Like, what does fear, what is its psychological, physiological place in our human experience? Because I think that really sets the stage for understanding how it's going to manifest in other areas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a combination of a fear, fear of uh, failure and a fear of rejection, but kind of on a micro everyday level as opposed to overall in life. Um, <clears throat> yeah, being rejected by, you know, here I am out to serve people here and this is why I do this and uh, you know th that fear of not being able to deliver that or at least being rejected from <clears throat> whoever our subject is 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 probably the type of fear that uh, that manifests itself here <clears throat> for sure and then I think at that point which I have to ask you it's in a way it's kind of up to us to decide is the fear that happens to me in this circumstance is it helping or harming right and if it's stopping us if it's making every photo shoot difficult and painful and something we have to fight our way through, as opposed to the healthy kind of fear that's going, okay, we need to be on our game, let's pay attention, you know, that, that kind of, um, I don't even know what a good word for it might be, but it seems that the effects are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And for you, it sounds like it's the kind of good motivating fear that keeps you on your toes as opposed to the kind that paralyzes you well it, it 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 is because you don't have a choice you have to go through with it it doesn't feel like that when you're actually there but once you start it it kind of it just moves on i mean it's it's i guess it's stage fright right the equivalent of stage fright for 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 actors and dancers and so on and and it's a motivator right i mean people have 30 40 50 years experience and they still experience stage fright Yeah, that's an interesting one for me because as a as a theater kid and as a performer, um, I didn't I never experienced stage fright, um, but I did experience pre um, <laughs> pre performance anxiety in the way that you know you feel a lot of the physical effects. Right, your heart starts pounding and there's this kind of lightning running through your body, um, but it never manifested or felt to me like fear. And so 
Um, I definitely experienced that in a really different way. But I think that's because even from a young age, I was always performing. So I kind of recognized, which is one of the things I try to teach people when they are suffering through what you're talking about and not seeing it as a motivating factor. When people are finding this pre-performance anxiety or this fear before a shoot as something that kind of cripples them so that when they're in the shoot itself, they, they're not performing the way that they want to because of the fear. Um, when I was still performing, it was really easy for me to see that as I was stepping into my power. Like I was about to walk out and command the attention of hundreds of people. And I kind of look at that the same way. When I'm walking into a photo shoot, I'm about to go in and be in my power place. Like this is where I rule everything. I am the king of this place. And, um, and I can't really feel fear in those circumstances. It just, it just doesn't show up and I'm not sure why. And if that's the mindset that really helps it happen, or if that's just a part of my personality type. But I think sometimes um, when you are on the opposite end of the spectrum, where you're not seeing that pre-performance anxiety as a bonus, and when it's stopping you from, you know, one of the common ones is I've heard that people will, can, they'll just keep shooting, even though everything is wrong, they won't actually stop and slow down and go to fix things and kind of stand in that position of responsibility, they'll hide a little bit because they don't want to reveal to the client that something is wrong and they're not sure how to fix it. Um, so they'll just keep clicking the shutter and uh, making everything worse, but that, that fear stops them in those circumstances. So it's really fantastic to hear that you're in a place where for you, it does sound more like pre-performance anxiety and less like that kind of, you know, debilitating fear that, that people might face in that circumstance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, is that something it, it always just manifested that way for you or had, did you have to do any kind of internal work to see it as a positive? No, it, it's just, it's, it's not, I, I don't really have to work at it. It's just, uh, it's, I guess it's part of my process. <laughs> Uh, and again, I guess I'm having a hard time differentiating between fear and, and anxiety in this case. Which one is it? Um, it I, I don't think it's it's not a, it's not anxiety. It really is being afraid of screwing up, being afraid of of, of failing, being afraid of not you know a rejection. Um, anxiety is a bit different. Uh, but yeah, it just it just happens, and I'm used to it, and I and I and I see it now. I recognize it, and I I still feel it. It's not like I I feel it any less. Uh, but at the end of the shoot, it just kind of all comes together, and and I get over it, and on to the next one, and then it's just like repeat. Right. Okay, fantastic. So, before I um, invite Matt to then share, I just want to run back over. If you're just joining us today, we're talking about fear. And we're trying to really look at fear for what it is in our lives, how it manifests itself, and figure out how we can deal with it if it's holding us back. And starting with the psalm, we're, we're really looking at the fact that fear is an evolutionary response that's intended to keep us safe. And so when it shows up, it's trying to tell us something about our circumstances. And in the psalm's case, he's recognizing that some of this fear of rejection um, and other kind of performance fear is actually showing up in a way that makes him sharper, in a way that helps him pay more attention, in a way that, you know, kind of reminds him how he should be performing 
if he wants to be able to give the client experience that they want and capture the image he wants and all those kinds of things. So it's a kind of a really cool thing to start out this discussion, recognizing the benefits that we actually have from fear. Because if you look at what happens when adrenaline hits your body, um, you have a lot of physiological responses that actually end up in you being better prepared to deal with danger. So cool to start off looking at fear when it can become a net positive. So um, jumping off the back of that, Matt, I would love to hear what you are thinking about how you deal with fear. Yeah, here come the net negatives. Woohoo! Um, so I feel a lot of the same exact things that Bassam feels on a daily basis. And that to me is the normal resistance that we feel, right? When we're just uncomfortable, right? It's those old survival mechanisms. I think for me, the things that have caused me fear, I've dealt with a lot of kind of my own fears over the past couple of years and getting to the root of them. And several that I have that are still pervasive um, that I have to battle every day is fear of success, fear of money, and constant fear of judgment, um, kind of borderline imposter syndrome, right? But the fear of success is the one that I see is the sneakiest little manifester there is. And, you know, the root of it comes down to a lot of things. Um, you know, um, kind of cruddy programming from my parents when I was a kid and, you know, trying to excel and having that perfectionist tendency and always wanting to um, be the top of the class or whatever it is, right? That, that real high achieving, but never really getting there type of personality. And so the fear of success is if I get there, then there is nothing left to do. And then what? So there's this thing that I can approach that finish line, but then I have to back off because I'm scared of it. Because then what? What's next? I've been in this relative comfort zone for so many decades that if I go to another level, then, um, you know, I may then be judged, I may fail, I may not be viewed as good enough, right? All of this kind of um, self-loathing, self-hatred type of tie-in to the fear. So that's, that's kept me from following up on a lot of opportunities. It's kept my business from growing the way that I want it to. Um, it's really, you know, done some damage over the years. Over, I'd say the past three or four years, um, I've really looked at the root of it and I'm slowly getting past it and can very well recognize when it's kicking up and where the procrastination happens and where the resistance happens and the things that I'm not doing that I should be doing and I know better. Those are the things that it causes within me. Um, and, you know, it's just learning to deal with it every day, trying to, uh, you know, move past it, recognize it, understand it, know where it comes from, and then move past it. So how do you start moving past it then? Like now that you've done some of that self-reflection work and you know where these things are coming from and you know the deleterious effect that they're having on what you want for yourself, what are some of the steps you're taking to start moving past it? I mean, the first step is really recognizing it, right? Understanding it. For everybody, it's going to be different. The, you know, let's call it the fear of success. Just, it's going to be different for everybody. Let's call it for your fear of success. For me, um, it was a matter of understanding where some of the roots were from, what some of my um, 
as I was growing up, what was I dealing with? What did I go through? Uh, are those the triggers? What are the moods that I was in? Um, you know, what's going on around me when these things trigger off? You have to look at all of these variables if you can, if you're, you know, if, if you're in the moment to be aware. You have to look at all those variables. For me to move past it, I also have to counter it with, well, is this fear real in this moment? Or are you just making assumptions and there's no proof in the story that you're telling yourself that the outcome is going to be the outcome? So there's nothing that I've done that I haven't eventually been able to accomplish. And so there's nothing in my track record that says this time you're going to fail or this time it's, you know, it's not going to go well, or they're going to make fun of you, or they're going to judge you or any of those things. So I have to recognize that, laugh at myself a little bit and say, all right, well, let's do this thing. It's always worked out in my favor. So just do it. It doesn't mean that the fear is not there. It just has to be controlled and tamed and recognized for what it is. So for me to move past it, first, it's awareness. Second, it's asking myself, is that true? And if it's not true, then just put it to the side, recognize it and move past it. Does, does that make sense? Does that answer it? Yes. Yeah, it does a lot. And I think there's, there's something interesting in there. Um, physiologically that's happening that, that I want to bring up as well, because I think, I think, so first, let me just say, when we start feeling that fear and when the fear goes into overtime, a lot of times, um, our executive decision-making functions can kind of shut down and emotion takes over, right? Which makes it really hard for us to actually examine what's happening in real time when that fear is on us. So when the fear manifests itself at its height, um, our responses tend to be instinctive and emotional, which is why that work of self-reflection that you have done in advance becomes really important because those fear triggers that happen as a result of, you know, whatever caused them to be there in the past, our brain has taken note of those things and is basically saying, last time something like this happened, we got hurt. So this time we are prepared in advance in order to get you out of the situation. And so your body responds in a really, I mean, in a way that cannot be ignored, you know, pounding heart, sweating palms, shaky limbs, all those things. That's your brain being like, ah, ha, run, fool. But when you take the time to do the work beforehand and you recognize, often we can only do this in retrospect, but when you recognize where this came from, and man, what I was thinking when you were describing looking at yourself as a, as a younger person, I was thinking it's really incredible to start this journey with empathy for your past self. And understand what was going on with that version of you and how that version of you ended up where you are now and kind of bringing that baggage along. And when you can do some of that work and you understand what those triggers are and you know where they came from and you have that empathy, all of a sudden when you're confronting those fears later, you've kind of, it's almost like you've put some, some trigger warnings into your prefrontal cortex, right? So that when the thing starts to happen, instead of having that immediate physical response, you can go, wait a minute, this is a trigger thing. I know the, where this is coming from and I know that it's not truth. All of a sudden it's harder for your body to take over and respond in that fully emotional way because you've caught it before it has a chance to manifest. So I think that's a really interesting 
way to look at what's happening to us from a physical standpoint and then tying in some of these psychological tricks that you're using in order to like harness this thing, harness this wild horse before it runs off with you. Um, and I think and, sometimes if we, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and there's just, there's one last, one last piece to that. And we talked about it the other day is gratitude practice, right? It, it is something that the more that I practice gratitude and do my gratitude countdowns at the end of the night or in the morning and really focus on little things that I'm grateful for, it alleviates and has alleviated a ton of these day-to-day fears because I find so much more to occupy my brain with and from, you know, standpoint of gratitude that the fears don't come up as much. It gives me a much um, stronger sense of peace. So that has also allowed me to move past some of this and keeping me in a a more positive state uh, more consistently. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And you know what's what's funny? When you said gratitude, um, I immediately had a picture in my head. I don't know why, but I immediately had a picture in my head of Rupa. For those of you who have been in the room long enough, you will recognize this wonderful soul. Um, of her telling herself when fear showed up, you know what, fear, I'm grateful for you for trying to keep me alive, but we don't need you right now. And I don't know why that was such a strong picture in my head, but it seems to me that there is a certain personality type that will find even gratitude for the fact that your body and your brain are looking out for you, right? Like they're trying to protect your soul, man. Um, even gratitude for that response seems like a it kind of seems strange, but I don't know why it feels all of a sudden a bit like a key that's like, hey, guess what? We can even have empathy for ourselves in that moment when the fear shows up. We don't want the fear, but we recognize that we're trying to protect ourselves. I'm talking about myself and the royal we, but we kind of are a triune being, aren't we? Um, and having empathy and gratefulness for yourself even there, just that you're, you're trying to keep yourself safe but it's okay. I don't need this mechanism anymore. I don't know why that all of a sudden like touched me a lot, but it did. Yeah, it's a great point. It really, really is. Um, you're right. Rupa had a, a phenomenal point that really struck me. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. So um, I need to step back for a second. I'll be back in a minute. No worries. And I don't know why all of a sudden she was in my head, but I, th- I guess I think of her um, as that kind of person. And so that, that picture was there and now I'm, I'm going to have to go chase her down <laughs> and be like, hey, I thought this about you today. Um, but yeah, okay. So we touched on a couple of really great points already and, and that are all tied a little bit into understanding the, the, the purpose that fear actually serves and how we can start to look at that when it shows up as a net positive and the things that we can start to do when it shows up negatively and how we can try to harness some of those things. And I think taking that step beforehand and and doing that introspection, tackling where those fears come from, recognizing that they're not necessarily based in truth, but they're based on the perceptions of events that happen to somebody who is not who we are now, right? Like that person who built in those fear responses That's not actually who I am anymore. That was me as a child or as a teenager. That was that version of me. And those mechanisms got built in there. I need to look at those and break them apart and go, okay, 
that doesn't actually apply to me anymore. And those things aren't based in reality. They're based in these emotional perceptions so that the next time that trigger happens, I'm prepared before I get so emotional that my prefrontal cortex shuts down to stop and say, hey, 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 this isn't us anymore. This situation isn't the same as it was before. Pay attention. This isn't truth. So I love where that's going and we're recognizing when the fear shows up as a positive that makes us sharp and gives us fresh eyes and helps us pay attention. So we've got those things going for us so far. So Becca, do you have any thoughts on how you deal with fear? Um, just from, from any perspective, I know some of it can be related to us as artists and some of it may be personal, but in any case, like, how do you do it? Fear is the mind killer. That's all I can think. And, uh, blame anyone who's ever read Dune for that one. Um, yeah, I've, I have had a lot of fear in my life. I've been afraid of success. I've been afraid of physical pain. I've been afraid of confrontation. I've been afraid of going into my garage to get something because I'm afraid of spiders. Um, and it kind of depends what day you catch me on uh, for how exactly I will process that fear in myself. But generally, I end up weighing things against how badly do I want what's on the other side of the fear? And do I want whatever that is more than I want the comfort that I'm currently in? And more often than not, the answer is yes, I do want it. And I can't have it unless I swallow that fear and I go get it. Now, in some cases, if it's, you know, at least one of the option is, is like death, um, may, maybe not. Uh, maybe I, I can allow the fear to do its natural thing and keep me from potentially dying but uh i i have to sit down and out logic myself really um and something also um forgive my french for this one but that i was told by a parental figure once upon a time was that you don't have anything to be scared of if you're the scariest motherfucker in the room and i, I i've internalized that for years and years and years like how do i be that scariest motherfucker and in honestly like a lot of it comes down to knowledge like things like being afraid of spiders i i tackled my arachnophobia by doing as much research and learning about spiders as i possibly could hi darling um so i could understand when were they likely to bite me what were the conditions that they would want to live in my house or not want to live in my house um, you know, but you can apply that to almost anything. I mean, when it comes to things like work and, you know, being afraid of success and being afraid of taking on a new job or not being, uh, you know, efficient or good enough at what you're doing, like, what can you do to know enough to give your absolute 110% to be the best that you can be? And then that fear no longer exists because you're fully prepared. I love what you just said in ways that I can't fully explain because um, there are a lot of aspects of post-traumatic stress that I've had to deal with in exactly that way. Um, we've been through a couple of tornadoes when we lived on the East Coast in North Carolina. And coming from Washington State where severe weather doesn't exist, I mean, it's just, you know, the threat of volcanoes. <laughs> and earthquakes but um i did not grow up with severe weather as a as a thing that you dealt with so all of a sudden having mother nature come after you was a terrifying experience 
And it was one of the few times in my life where it triggered a fear response to the point where I literally packed my kids up in the car and ran. Like we didn't have necessarily a tornado coming at us. It was a, it was a warning for the whole Eastern seaboard. But I basically was like, I will drive west until I get to a place where there are none. Like my, my fear response, my flee response was that hard. And when we moved to other places, um, I knew I had to tackle that. So I started, I did as much research as I could. I found out, you know, how many tornadoes were actually at a certain level and what people really died from and how some simple ways you can protect yourself. Wearing a helmet is one of them. I know that sounds dumb, but most tornado deaths happen by flying debris. So putting on a helmet is a really big way, a really big, simple way that you can uh, take care of yourself. So I, I did really the same thing as you and just learn as much as I could so that I had that knowledge as a sword to fight back against uh, the fear with. So, and also I love, I love the quote that you just shared. I'm definitely stealing that one for myself, but really quickly, I do want to read for folks who are not sci-fi nerds and you haven't read Dune. <laughs> this is the quote that Becca was talking about and it's really powerful for a couple reasons, but let me read it first. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where only fear has gone, or where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And there's a lot of, um, if you break that down, there's a lot of really powerful language in there, such as, I will permit it to pass over me. It's not that the fear comes and takes shit over. It is, I am allowing myself to lean into the fear and to experience it fully, recognizing that it is going to go past. It's not going to stay. And when it's gone, I will still be standing here. And that's a really powerful thing to think to yourself, um, especially for those of us who, who deal with anxiety, sometimes leaning in to that expression of fear and recognizing that the fear itself is not going to kill us, right? That, that experience that physical and psychological experience that happens when we feel fear is not going to kill us. We'll still be here when it's gone. And even just being able to recognize that can be a super powerful tool. So I noticed we have Erica and Jean with us. Um, would love to hear from you, Erica, and then Jean. Yeah, um, I have lots of experience getting past fear uh, in my 51 years of life. And I've, I have kind of boiled it down to a balance between faith that everything will be okay and evidence that I've gotten through situations in the past. And um, I think as a young person, it requires a lot of faith because you don't have a lot of evidence, at least in your own life, to you know base your feelings on. So the older I get, I feel I have more and more evidence that um, no matter what situation I go through, you know, I always come out um, on better on the other side, like even situations I consider bad at the time, looking back, you know, there was a reason for that and it made me stronger and it made me better. So having that gives me the faith to get through things in the future. And, and honestly, you know, you know, people say, what's the worst can happen? You could die. And, and as a Christian, that's not a bad thing for me. So, you know, I, going through life, I just, I guess I think no matter what, no matter what, it's going to be okay. And that gives me 
the strength to get past fear. I love it. And it's definitely worth talking about the fact that what we believe will heavily influence the way that we respond, whether that's a belief that we've cultivated through religious practice or whether that's a belief that we have through past experiences. Um, that internal narrative of belief is going to go so far in deciding how we respond to fear. And I love that you have that you have those things in place. Um, and I, I hope to be at that point as well one day where I can look at all the things I've gone through and see that I've come out on the other side and uh, recognize that I already am a bad motherfucker <laughs> um, and, and that it's going to be okay. So I, I really love that. Jean, we'd love to hear from you also. See, that's why when I was in Iraq, I always wanted to carry a shotgun because you just can't, you can't see a guy like that and not think, hmm, he's... He's the scariest guy in the room. I it, I can't resist the temptation since Becca brought up spiders. I just want to ask uh, Becca real quick. Do you know what the difference is between Iran and Iraq? Tell me. Well, in Iran, they're terrified of spiders. But in Iraq, no phobia. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just, I love that joke. Anyway, fear. Uh, wow. You know, in, um, in my military career, I always had, uh, you know, I, I've thought a lot about fear and why I did the things that I did. Um, I mean, when I was in the Gulf War, I, I had uh, um, the word sounds dangerous, count me in written on my helmet. And when a helicopter would, uh, I was in a helicopter unit, I was a, a helicopter crew chief and mechanic. And when a bird would go down somewhere in the middle of the Saudi Arabian desert, I was the first one to grab a truck and parts and run off into the abyss and, and go get the aircraft back online. Um, I never hesitated to take on things like that. And I, I think it's interesting because I've seen this transition in my mind where the way that you cope with fear as you age transitions from ignorance to knowledge. You know, I think that it was easy for me to, you know, in, in 1991 to run around the Saudi Arabian desert like I owned the place because I was a 20-year-old kid and didn't know what the hell else I was doing, you know. But later on in life, you know, when General Casey and I are running around Iraq and, and we're seeing ourselves on, on TV surrounded by, you know, 5,000 locals and we're realizing we've only got two security guards, all of a sudden we're like, you know, this looks a little scary. And, uh, I mean, there've been times we've had, uh, we've, we've, um, I've, we've been in meetings with, uh, al-Sadr and, and, the in Bosnia, we, we met with, uh, Milosevic and, you know, th these were both, you know, situations where it took a lot of coordination and a lot of knowledge, but also a lot of faith to know that we were going to get out of those situations alive. And in the case in Bosnia, um, when the meeting ended kind of abruptly, I mean, I actually had to, to blast a, a, a gate with my, uh, with my home B to get off the guy's compound. Um, so, you know, we, we go into these situations sometimes with blissful ignorance, but as you age and as you get more experience, you start to kind of, um, you know, I think that knowledge really, um, really helps at least make calculated decisions, you know, when you're doing things that might otherwise be scary or terrifying. I, 
I think that's really the best way to explain how we got through some of the situations that we got through because, you know, we had good information from the State Department. We had good intel. We knew where we were going. We knew the political situation. And there have been a lot of situations where, you know, we were alive today simply because it would have been politically disastrous to kill us. But it was it was uh, desirable to, but they didn't. And uh, that's a, it's a it, you know, when you come to realize that uh, as you get more information and knowledge, it, it can be pretty scary. I think when I started skydiving, I saw the, the, the disconnect between, you know, knowledge and ignorance because um, I've, I've jumped 165 times out of an airplane and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And it's actually one of the safest things in the world to do. And the more knowledge you get and the more understanding you have of how the, the parachute works and all the systems that are involved, I mean, it's that you understand why more people die playing golf than skydiving. And, um, and so, you know, that, that takes a lot of the fear out for me. But the last thing I want to say about fear is, you know, under every circumstance, it's very important. Nicole, you, is, just as I raised my hand, of course, Nicole somehow always channels my mentality. But you, you brought up, just as I was raising my hand, um, post-traumatic stress. Um, I think that it's very important uh, for people to understand when, when you're when you're trying to process fear, you've got to understand that there is a long-term impact of fear on the body and on the mind that you have to take the time to work through and cope with. And this is not just for soldiers that have been through you know dangerous situations on the battlefield, but for anybody who's been uh, you know through a, a, an abusive relationship, anybody that's been in a near-death situation, anybody that's uh, lost a lot of, uh, you know, relatives or, or loved ones. I mean, you know, th this, this kind of fear that you go through, um, has a building effect and, and you have to build back down off of it and not underestimate it. And, and fear is relative, you know, it, it, it's something that might not scare me, might not affect me, but it might scare somebody else and terrify them in fact, and it'll have an impact on them. So you can't judge somebody who, you know, might've been in a car accident and, uh, you know, and, and now they're living with, you know, PTSD because now they're scared to drive. Uh, that's a real thing. And, and you've got to understand that yourself and know how to work through it. And you've got to respect that in others, too. So uh, that's that's uh, all I wanted to say on, on fear. You know, I think you bring up something really interesting, Gene, with your experiences. And um, I've, I've talked to a couple of people with psychology backgrounds on this. But it's interesting the difference between the expression of fear in actual life-threatening situations and how that fear, even though it doesn't feel good, becomes the, things that, the thing that saves you. Whereas for most of us who will never experience a situation like that, that fear shows up and we don't have a proper expression for it, right? So if you're in danger, and that fight or flight mechanism kicks in, well, you're gonna fight, you're gonna run, hopefully you don't freeze, um, but those things actually have a, a way that you can express them. You can do something about the fear. When your fear is showing up because of psychological reasons, all of a sudden you don't have a proper physical expression for that, so you're left with all of this energy in your body. And what do you do? What do you do with that, right? And how do you respond to that? And um, for a lot of us who have anxiety, that becomes the worst thing. And the fear actually becomes the thing that we fear, which is why that is such a vicious cycle. We start being afraid of being afraid. And then 
the fear itself becomes a trigger and all of a sudden the anxiety isn't just around you know a spider or a whatever it's around being afraid that there will be a spider <laughs> they, they actually have a name so it, for that they, they, they call it anticipatory anxiety and and that's exactly yeah. that's a real thing absolutely 100 percent. and you know to build on your point too i would also say that when you are in a dangerous situation or you know you're going to face a dangerous situation it's also important to understand that fear can also um abate complacency and mm -hmm. and so you know that there is a benefit to fear i mean you know there are situations that we went into and i general casey and i would look at each other in the helicopter as we're landing into a crazy you know meeting and you could see the fear in both of our faces but it was like a controlled fear it was like okay we've crossed all the the t's we've dotted all the i's you know this is this is go time we've done the prep we've got the information and you know so we understand what we're getting ourselves into and the fear is what leads to that yeah absolutely and i think that that brings up the main point that i kind of wanted to tackle toward the end of this conversation is you know we have those instances of fear where the result is real consequences real physical consequences whether that is you know you're serving as a soldier or you're climbing a rock wall and it's chossy and maybe you slipped or whatever it is where there's a real purpose a physical purpose to that fear response but for many of us living in relative safety that fear will show up for a different reason and it's always a defense mechanism whether it's trying to protect your physical body or whether it's trying to protect your emotional center your ego the seat of your identity right the fear shows up in those circumstances as well and that is the kind of fear that most of us will experience we will experience the fear of rejection the fear of failure the fear of success we will experience the fear of losing loved ones and all of these things are psychological fears but the body's response is often the same way and so um it's important for us to recognize that the brain's main job, and I know I've mentioned this lots of times, but I, it really bears repeating, the brain's main job is to keep you safe. And so when you start to put yourself in situations where the brain perceives that a dangerous outcome may be likely, it will result in fear. Oh, you want to work with that person who could, you know, make your career explode? Well, what if you screw it up? What if they don't want to work with you? What if they don't want to buy anything that you have? Look at the results of that. You don't want that. You don't want that pain, right? Let's just not take that chance. So your brain is very clever. It knows exactly what is going to trigger you. It knows what's going to keep you out of those situations because safe and comfortable is better in your brain than growth is if it hurts which is why so often in our lives, we need these external forcing functions that will push us outside of our comfort zones because if we don't get them, we won't grow past the boundaries that we've set for ourselves, those safe boundaries. You can think of them in a big way like your garden wall. It's very safe in your garden. You have food in your garden. You're okay in your garden. Maybe it's not the biggest or the best garden. Maybe that garden isn't everything it could be. If you were willing to go outside of it and get new seeds or knock down the walls and push them out and make them bigger, but you're still safe. And as soon as you take a step outside of that and put your, yourself in that psychological or emotional danger, 
all of those thoughts come flooding in and with those thoughts all of the physio physiological responses to them so that fear of rejection all of a sudden becomes nobody's gonna love you and your palms start to sweat and you start to breathe faster and all of a sudden you just want to get yourself out of the situation and not even walk up to the gate to risk opening it but here's the important part for us to remember our brain doesn't always make decisions based on truth it makes decisions based on perception and emotion emotion being the biggest driving factor we have which is why and Jean knows this, which is why training is so critical to helping us respond properly when those kinds of situations arise. So that, that idea that we will always fall back on the level of our training, it's now your job to start training your brain how to behave when that fear arrives. And one of the things that I know I do, I'm not always successful at this, I'm training myself, is I've learned to recognize that fear response not in physical danger situations, but in emotional danger situations. I've learned to recognize that fear as a signpost. It tells me beyond this limit, potential exists. And if I push out into that space, that is where growth happens. And if I want it, I have to step through the fear. So fear becomes a signpost for me, not only that I have to go there if I want to get what I want, but also this is the only way I can be brave. You don't earn bravery by being comfortable. Bravery and courage is only something you earn when fear is present. So I look at both of those things like a building opportunity. This is my chance to build a virtue that I care about. Bravery, courage, those things are important to me because the negative side effects are real world consequences, but I do wanna grow. I don't want to stay in my garden. I'm not, I don't want to stay in my comfort zone. I have things that I want to accomplish. And if I want those things, then I need to find the places where I'm afraid. I'm afraid of not succeeding in my business. I'm afraid of spending this money because what if I lose it? I'm afraid of going to this networking event and nobody wanting to talk to me. I'm afraid of et cetera, et cetera. But fear becomes a signpost that tells me, keep going. <laughs> If you want to be that person, if you want to have those things, the fear tells you where to step out. And so that is a big psychological ball to unravel, but that is the way that I deal with those particular things. I feel lots of fear every time I try to tell a silly joke. So I apologize to Becca for the crazy joke, but if she liked that one, I've got a good penguin for one for sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's funny, as you were telling that joke, I was thinking, it, it's really funny to tell a joke about that, considering the size of camel spiders. <laughs> that exist over oh my there. gosh! Even though they're not real spiders, that doesn't matter. Those things are scary. I know, themselves. I know. They're, they're, I mean, you you want to put a saddle on it and ride it in the battle. I mean, those things are crazy. Or they just used to get through foxholes, like, right? And the scorpions. I used to get scorpions in my sleeping bag and my boots every night. So that was. Yeah, uh, I, didn't want to be I had born, to get over man. my fear of those. <laughs> Yeah, so and, and that's, I think, something also worth mentioning is that there, there is real value in re-exposing yourself in small amounts to those things that you fear so that every single time you can do exactly what Erica was talking about, which is you can kind of inundate yourself. You can inoculate yourself against that fear by recognizing every time I come in contact with it, I was okay. I was still okay. 
I got it a little bit, I'm still okay. I got it a little bit more, worse than it was before. But look, at the end of everything, I'm still okay. And you can desensitize yourself to those things that way. So how does this apply to us? Like when we're talking about these things in our personal life, it can sometimes be difficult to ask ourselves like, okay, so, but how do I take and apply these things? And we talked about a lot of principles and things that we can actively do, um, mental programming that we can start to put in place to help us deal with those fears that are stopping us from reaching out for the things that we want and becoming the kind of people we want to be, taking the risks that will help us get to wherever it is that we desire. So first of all, first, sorry, first of all, recognizing that fear as what it is. Fear is not the bogeyman. It's not the big bad guy. It's not anything that we should actually worry about. It is just your body's and your brain's physical response and emotional response to keeping you safe. And in a way, I'm still thinking of that with Rupa in my mind, but in a way, we should be grateful for that. We should have empathy for that. We should kind of love our body and our brain for the fact that it has these mechanisms that want to protect us and keep us safe. So recognizing what it is. It's not a bad guy. It's just a thing that happens. And then asking ourselves in this situation, is this fear a net positive or a net negative? Is it helping keep me sharp? Is it actually helping keep me safe in this situation? Is it helping me achieve what I want to achieve because it's making me hypervigilant? Cool. Then we want to let that be what it is and learn how to let the fear do its job. But if it's a net negative, if it's holding us back, where does it come from? Like Matt was saying, how do we look back and find out what built that fear response in the first place? How can we break those things down so that we can understand them and then find the knowledge to confront those things head on? Is this true? Is this objectively true? Or was this just my perception as the person who I was at that time? And how can I take what I know now and use it to batter those walls down? And once we do that, we recognize those triggers. I know that when I'm in a situation where I have the possibility to be rejected, I'm, this is not me personally, I'm using myself as an avatar here. Um, I'm gonna have a fear response that's based on this thing that happened. I understand that's who I was, not who I am. And I'm making a lot of assumptions about other people to think that that would be the end result. So I can pre-prime my brain that when these situations happen, I can stop that thought using the training, the mental training that I've given myself and the truth about what I've learned to stop that before it becomes that physiological response, before my body starts to respond. Because once your body starts to respond to fear, it is incredibly hard to get logic to actually make a difference in controlling it because your prefrontal cortex really starts to shut down. Your ability to actually think critically starts to go right down the toilet because your body is focused on doing the things that will get you to safety and not thinking the things that will help you control your emotions. Your emotions are motivating factors at that point. Yeah, go ahead. I just, I imagine that's probably why I always play so well in horror movies when they go down into the dark basement or they go into the shed with all the saws and knives because <laughs> logic is no longer a thing. 
Yeah, really true. And we look at that from the safety of our couch and think, you idiot, <laughs> right? Because we're, we're sitting in relative safety, but people really will make crazy decisions when they're afraid. And this is why even in interpersonal relationships, you will see when somebody gets put in a, a, a dangerous situation, a dangerous emotional situation, they feel like they're being attacked. They feel like they're backed into a corner. What do they do? They may lash out, right? Even though that means potentially hurting someone they care about, the need to protect yourself is so strong, those emotions will override your better judgment. And so we have to recognize that those are literally your body's defense mechanisms. Those are, you know, the machine gun turrets up at the corners of your soul that are like, don't get close to this spot, fucker. I will protect this with everything I've got. That is a real thing that's happening. And once you get to the point where emotion has taken control, you don't have much left in the way of the ability to control those things. So learning what they are beforehand, doing that work of recognizing where your fear triggers are, and then putting in that self-reflection, that mental training, learning as much as you can, reminding yourself that that's not a real thing, that that's a perception thing, gives you a way to stop that train of thought before it ever gets into the station. So when those things happen, those real serious fear responses that twist our guts and stop us from moving forward, if we do the work beforehand, we have a lot better chance of unraveling those things. But for most of us, that's not going to be the natural occurrence, right? For most of us, we're not encountering this gut-wrenching fear on a day-to-day -day basis. Most of us have smaller fears that are related to the things that we care about. And they're not always these big, dramatic things, but they still affect us. They stop us from reaching out and calling that person. They stop us from showing up to the networking event. They stop us from taking a chance on that new style we love, but we're afraid somebody's not gonna like it and they won't follow us anymore. They stop us from posting the picture we love because we don't wanna be judged because it's outside of you know, the normal work that we do. They stop us from taking out a business loan, even though we know that that could result in the growth we want for our company. Those smaller fears are just as real to us as the big one, but the result of them is it stops us from getting where we want to go in our art, in our business, in our personal relationships, which is why I mentioned understanding what it is, what fear is, and then taking the, sometimes it feels like your brain is attacking you and you have to, st you have to stop that line of thinking because it attaches even more emotion to the fact that it's happening. But recognizing that's just a protective mechanism and seeing it as a signpost that says, hey, our brain's entire job is to keep us safe and safe is comfortable, which means if I'm uncomfortable and if I'm afraid, probably there's something out there I need, but I have to be vigilant when I go to get it. It really changes the game and how you think about approaching those things. It still requires bravery and it still requires courage. It still requires you being willing to feel that fear response and to let it happen. And then remembering that you're still going to be standing there once the fear has passed. Um, is a big one. And also really quickly, just remember that emotions, actual physical emotions that you feel don't last very long in your body. They only last a few seconds. If you grab them and allow them and, and don't allow them to pass, if you hold on to them, then you compound them and you make them worse. And then you introduce mental suffering into the equation instead of just the physical fear response, 
when you grab onto that fear and you don't let it go and you start trying to examine it and figure it out while you're feeling awful, now you introduce mental suffering into the equation and you don't want that. So being able to let the fear pass is a really big deal. All right, as we move toward the end of the hour, um, if there's anybody left in the audience who has anything that they wanna share, any thoughts that you've had during this discussion about fear, now is the time. In the meantime, folks on the panel, any final thoughts on this discussion or anything you want people to walk away with? Uh, Nicole, you know, I really like the, 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 the direction that you took the conversation on, on um, logic and, and rationality. I mean, it, it occurs to me, you know, even yesterday, um, after, you know, so many years of being out of the military and out of Iraq, you know, I'm, I'm in Cali, Colombia. This is a very well-known, um, you know, city for its, its violence and its, um, you know, the, the, the restaurant bombings and the car bombings and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's, you know, it's abated and it's, and it's not such a prominent thing, but, you know, when I come down here, there's, uh, it, it's amazing how everybody here lives in constant fear. I mean, everyone lives behind security guards and cages and, and you're careful about what neighborhoods you go through. Um, but even just yesterday, you know, we, we were eating lunch at a, at a mall and this car pulled up, uh, just outside the restaurant and it started having some weird, um, sounds with its horn. Uh, and it's flashers, it's, it's, uh, hazard lights were going, but they weren't going like, you know, normal. They they were just kind of like blinking erratically and the horn was kind of blinking weird. And I just, in my mind, I immediately thought to myself, okay, there's something not right with that car and a common, um, uh, telltale of a car bomb is, is that there's something going on with the electrical system in the car. And so immediately I'm thinking to myself, shit, you know, this could be something bad. And I started going through my mind of all, okay, what am I going to do? All right. You know, the kids are right here next to me. My wife is next to me. Who am I going to jump on top of? What am I going to do? What's the aftermath going to be? What structure am I, you know, I start taking inventory of everything around me. And then, and then I'm finally just like, okay, you know what? This is not rational. <laughs> and I, I, I did the inventory. It made me feel better, but that's something that a lot of uh, soldiers do. And a lot of people that have ever been, ever been anywhere around a vehicle that blows up. Um, it's, it's something that it's really hard to get out of your mentality, um, even all these years later. So, um, I guess I just bring it up to, you know, if, if other people are going through something similar to that. And again, like I say, it's, it can be relative. It doesn't have to be a car bomb. It can be, you know, a car accident. It could be domestic violence. I mean, these are all very real things that elicit responses. A lot of people in domestic violence situations have trouble in relationships because they're in constant fear that things are going to happen again that happened in the last relationship. I mean, it's, that's a very real thing. And so, um, I just, you know, I, I guess I just want to normalize that kind of, uh, mentality, that kind of thinking, um, it, not that we don't have to work through it, but there's nothing wrong with you if you have that feeling or have that response to fear. Sorry, I see Viviana's hand is up and I'm, I'm trying to grab her and for some reason it's not letting me. <laughs> I'm trying to, well, trying to get you. A great conversation, and I, I'm, I'm, I've been uh, uh, heckled twice here to get off the breakfast. Everybody's waiting for me at the breakfast table. So thanks for this great conversation, and, and uh, you guys are awesome. And now I'll, I'll uh, hear you guys later. All right, appreciate it. And um, I'm not sure.
Um, Viv, if you're trying to come up, I'm trying to grab you, Viviana. I can't do it. It's grayed out. I'm not sure why. It's just, it's not allowing me, but I've invited you up to speak. So there we go. Did it work? Yeah, I'm here. Yay. Hello. Hi. So this was an awesome conversation um, because it's uh, what I've been dealing with for the past, you know, when I decided to start my business as a new photographer, as a, you know, mom trying to make things better for my kids. Um, so the things that I love that you guys talked about was that exposure to that fear. Um, you know, obviously, as a new business owner, new photographer, still learning and trying to master my craft, um, you know, I am paralyzed. And that's how I feel. I was talking to Kat about it, you know, and it's how I feel paralyzed to move. And it is not that I'm going to die, but I just can seem to be moving. So the thing, the takeaway for me with this conversation was, you know, expose yourself. You're not going to die. And then the other thing is kind of learn or train yourself, which you, Nicole, talked about it. You know, have that training because that's going to give you the evidence that, you know, you're doing it and that is going to help you move forward. So I thought those points were very interesting and, you know, very helpful for me because I was wondering how, how do I move past my fear and my paralysis, you know, my imposter syndrome and all, all the things so I can go and do the thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you bring up those great points that we can train ourselves, that we can expose ourselves, even if it's just a little bit of a, a little bit at a time to those things that are scary so we can start to inoculate ourselves and recognize that, hey, like Erica said, I've been through it and I'm still here. So it's probably gonna be okay. Um, and having that proof makes it a whole lot easier to stand up against or allow that fear to go without having it paralyze us when it goes through. And um, you're right in that beginning stage. And I know many of us have been there and it is a scary thing. It feels like there's so much on the line, but often that fear will seem to exaggerate the negative consequences of things. It will, it will take, um, you know, what is a, a logical thing and, and will, um, what do I do? It, it will catastrophize it, right? So it will take turn up. Maybe this client might not be happy into no client is ever gonna wanna work with you and you're gonna go bankrupt and you're gonna go hungry and all of these things, right? that you have no proof will actually happen. But mm -hmm. your fear, your brain wants to protect you. So it's gonna throw everything in the kitchen sink at you mentally in order to try to keep you there. So man, just, just recognizing those things sometimes can be the key to unlocking, not allowing them to continue to happen. Just All to right. on the topic that oh, yeah, Vivian said about, um, you know, being a mom and making sure you're successful and making sure your kids don't go hungry as I'm being chased by a small child. Um, I mean, I feel like in my own experience, like at the very worst for myself, when I was the most afraid of my kids, you know, starving or being taken away from me or being homeless or whatever, that fear became my greatest motivator out of anything because the the bad possibilities 
were so much worse than the good that I had no option other than to be successful. Like the, the, the starvation or homelessness or CPS, whatever, that was not a real option for me. I couldn't allow it to be an option. So facing the fear and being successful against it really was the only possibility for me. So channeling it in a way, if you can, to become a motivator instead can make some very, very incredible changes. That's a super powerful point, Becca. And I think it's a good place to end this conversation because we often will attach feelings and emotions to things that don't necessarily have to be there. But when those fears exist as a recognition of real possibilities, I think you're absolutely right when we can take that energy and channel it into a place that produces forward momentum, um, you know, towards avoidance of those things or towards the achievement of something else it can be a really, really powerful motivator. And that's what we mean when we say net positive, right? So in, in your case, in that circumstance, and, and in Bassam's case, when he's feeling, you know, those fears related to the kind of performance of his job, um, you have two kind of options there. Those options either have a net negative, they paralyze you, they stop you, they they keep you from doing the thing that you want and getting to the place you want to go, or you turn them into something powerful into motive force that helps get you where you need to be. So you can move away from those dangers and being able to harness it and use it. That's a great, a great way to actualize on it instead of having it just be a big bogeyman who stands in the corner being scary. So I hope today's conversation was really valuable to the folks that were here today. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who came up and shared their experiences. It's not a really easy thing to talk about always because um, we kind of like to think of ourselves as, you know, these brave, bold entrepreneurs, boldly going where no business person and artist has ever gone before. But the fact is, all of us deal with fear. And being an artist as a profession by nature is being vulnerable. You are taking the things that you love, you're making them into a product and you're asking people to buy little pieces of your soul, right? And that is a scary thing because if somebody tells you no, it feels like a personal rejection. And so we have chosen a career path that leaves us open to those things, which means if we don't deal with fear, then we're always going to be dealing with fear. I hope that makes sense. If we don't deal with it, we're always going to be dealing with it. So taking that time, doing that introspection, having that empathy and for yourself and also the gratefulness to recognize what fear is and the fact that you're trying to protect yourself. Um, and then that it can become a motive force. It be, can become something that pushes you toward what you want if you can harness it and use it the right way. And that you get to only be brave. I mean, that, that always sticks with me. The only time you can be brave is if you are afraid so there is powerful virtue that comes from dealing with those things as well. So grateful to everybody who is here. Thank you for being part of the conversation today. I hope it was helpful. I hope you're able to start taking some of those steps and moving past those fears. And if you have thoughts that you couldn't share today because you were at work, we would love to have you come and join us in the Facebook group. Share your thoughts on how you deal with fear. How have you been able to move past it? And if you have anything that you can... Uh, Anything that you can add to the conversation that might help somebody, maybe they're not going to be able to connect with what I said or Bassam said or Becca said. Maybe you are the one holding the key to helping somebody else move past their fear. 
and they're not getting that key unless you share it. So come in and hang out with us, share your stories, and we will hopefully see you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time at 6 for the West Coast and 9 for the East Coast. Afternoon for our friends overseas. Until then, go make something amazing, and we'll see you later. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.